It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the Bengals post-game edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports comments and editor with Rick Broering. After the Bengals' 27-10 AFC Division Round playoff win at the Buffalo Bills, I'm sitting here in the press box, which is fast emptied out. There's only a handful of us left. The lights are still on. The snow is still falling. Um, those of you who watched the game and, and saw, you know, the field being cleared off, it is now, there's probably a good two inches of snow on it. You can't even see the playing surface any longer. But Rick, um, while I know Bengals fans maybe saw this win coming, maybe hope for this win to come, um, I didn't see it unfolding like that. That was a complete game in which they really controlled from the opening drive of the game on and never really were threatened. That was the weird part about it for a fan base that hasn't had many playoff victories over the last few decades. Uh, it was kind of anticlimactic and not very exciting. I mean, they were in control the entire way. They dominated. They went 27 to 10 and there was never really a point where Buffalo threatened and looked like they were going to get back into the game. Yeah. I mean, the only time I guess a little bit was the field goal to start the second half that cut it to 17 to 10 and the Bengals respond with a six minute plus lengthy drive it ends in a Joe Mixon touchdown that basically chews up the rest of the third quarter. And all of a sudden you look up and it's going to the fourth quarter at 24 to 10. And the way they were controlling things, it never felt like it was ever going to be um, something you were going to sweat in that fourth quarter. I don't think any Bengals fans really <laughs> had this as a, a possible scenario. I know for a fact none of the national talking heads <laughs> did coming into the game, listening to what people were saying. But Skinny, I think maybe even more crazy than the, the final score was. What did you think of the Bengals' offensive line and the way it held up, considering all the injuries that they were dealing with? Joe Burrow said it was it was the most complete performance the offensive line had this season. Run blocking, pass blocking, the most complete performance. And I think that speaks volumes. I don't think that's a shot at Alex Kappa or Lyle Collins or, or Jonah Williams. But, um, you know, this was the second most yards they rushed for in a game this season. Um, Joe Burrow was was as, as consistent and accurate as he always is. He was sacked one time and honestly wasn't all that pressured. I know he had to step up in the pocket for that touchdown pass to Chase on, on the first drive. But, um, you know, that's what happens is like, good quarterbacks have to move around and, and, and do. And he moved around with still his eyes able to go downfield and not worry about the rush. Um, I thought it was spectacular. You know, Jackson Carmen, we all had doubts and understandably so. You know, Max Sharping is a cast off from the Houston Texans of all places. And Akeem Adenogy, it feels like they've tried him all across the line. And now he's at right tackle. And, and let's not forget, Ted Karras also hurt his knee in this game. He stayed in and gritted it out. But but you had to factor that into the equation, too. And I think I'll take Joe Burrow's word for it. It was probably the most complete performance by the offensive line this year. And I think anyone who really follows the NFL and, and is pretty into it and was looking at this matchup thought, well, you know, this isn't a terrible matchup to have coming up if you've got a banged up offensive line because the Bills don't have that elite pass rusher on the edge right. like some of these other teams do that you're going to face. So from a, a pass blocking perspective with a quarterback like Joe Burrow, who's going to get the ball out fast in, in under three seconds, I think a lot of Bengals oh. fans felt like uh, the, the, the passing game might survive. But Skinny, the, the thing about the running game is it really hasn't been good most of the year. No, They haven't been able to chew up yards against hardly anybody and uh, as far as Joe Mixon goes, you go back to that Carolina game he had where he had the five touchdowns, which is absurd. Right. Obviously, this wasn't quite like that. But the way he ran the ball in that Carolina game and then uh, two weeks later, I think it was he had the game against Cleveland where he was pretty effective on the ground, had like just under 100 yards. This felt like those two games. And 
maybe it's all the offensive line. Maybe it's the holes that were available to him and he was able to get ahead of steam. But the way he was running, he had that explosive Joe Mixon pop back where it, it it's almost scary to tackle him. He's running through tacklers. He's hitting them hard. Uh, it was fun to watch him run the football again today. And we've only seen that really a few times from him this year. Yeah, but but I think a lot of the contact came second level and beyond, and, and uh, that, that's with the head of steam going. And, you know, I, I thought that drive in the fourth quarter where they, they ended up having to punt, but they, they ran it on eight straight plays. This is not going to sound like a lot. It was 33 yards, a little bit over four yards a pop. But they took five minutes off the clock and got four first downs that really kind of, if you had any doubt, that literally salted it away to take it down to the 230 mark. And they did it literally just saying, here we are. We're going to run it. If you stop us, you stop us. If not, we're going to chew up clock. And they chewed up almost five minutes of clock. Yeah, I just felt like a lot of years, a lot of this year, Mixon has received criticized for kind of pussyfooting around, for lack of a better term, not being decisive enough when there is a gap or a hole and, and you know, running a little too straight up. Maybe this felt more like that. If there's a gap, he's hitting it hard and fast and just taking what he can get initially and then running through tackles after that. And uh, again, it was just, it was fun to watch. The other part of this, the rushing attack, you mentioned him, Jackson Carmen. A lot of people are talking on Twitter after this game about the job Jackson Carmen did at left tackle. And part of that comes with, let's face it, Jonah Williams has had his issues over there the, the past couple of years, especially getting beat by pass rushers around the edge. I don't know that Jackson Carmen was really tested today in that same way, like Jonah Williams has been time and time again over the last few seasons with elite pass rushers. But I will say this, Jackson Carmen is a monster in the run game. Yeah, like When, I, when yeah. he gets going, he is just absolutely caving in defensive lines. Yeah, no, I, I I do think that the jury is still out as far as him as a pass blocker against elite level guys. And you mentioned, I mean, Shaq Lawson and, and Rousseau are not exactly the most elite edge rushers. Their strength really is in the middle of the line. So I'm going to withhold a little bit of judgment on that. But I also know that um, he didn't struggle to block those guys in the past game either. Um, and as Joe mentioned uh, in the post game, you know, I didn't, I, I said, you know, I know you're going to have to see the film to see all of it, but just on first blush, what did you think? And he said he was unbelievable. I didn't see anything coming from that side of the line all day. Well, he did see one because there was a free runner that came when Jackson actually looked inside when he was, should have been looking outside. But I mean, you're not going to get a hundred percent grade out of any offensive lineman in a game. I don't think so. Um, uh, you know, the fact that he held up in a, in a big situation, um, not having played that position as a starter in the NFL before, he certainly played it in college, he certainly played a handful of snaps there last week, I think is a nice building block to maybe, as we go into the offseason, to look and go, all right, you know, we got Jonah still, um, we got him under that fifth-year deal, but could Jackson maybe be the right tackle next year, or could Jackson be the left tackle and we'll slide Jonah over to the right side of the line? So I think it does give them some good options moving forward and a big confidence boost for Jackson Carmen too. It really becomes an interesting storyline because had you asked me that question two weeks ago, I'm probably telling you Jackson Carmen isn't in the plans going forward like that. He's kind of worn out as welcome and people are tired of him. And, and I don't think he's going to amount to much. Now, all of a sudden you shift him over to the position he played in college and it starts gets the wheels turning. Like, should he have just been over there from the start? Maybe. Yeah, no, I, I, that was, it's funny. Uh, guy, those of us that cover the team regularly, we were talking about, you know, some offseason storylines a few weeks ago. And, and, you know, that was one of them of, do you give Jackson one more chance at his natural position? We did not know really that he was repping much at tackle um, during the season. Cause we don't, we only see the first 30 minutes of practice and it's all individual drills. Um, so, and Frank, Frank Pollock does like to, to rep all the backup linemen across the board. So you knew he was getting some snaps, but it sounded like they were giving him some 
decent work on scout team at the at the left tackle spot. And, um, you know, maybe they, they did figure out that, okay, he feels more natural here. He looks more natural here. We don't need him right now because Jonah's there. But as soon as Jonah got hurt, they throw him right into the into the mix. And here we are, you know, heading to the AFC Championship game with him as a likely starting left tackle in that game. Aside from the play of the offensive line, I think the, the next most, I, I guess, crazy statistic or, or thing that pops out at you when you look at this game is the defense holding Josh Allen in this Buffalo offense to just one touchdown, and it came via a Josh Allen run. They didn't throw for a single touchdown all game. Eli Apple was very good in the secondary once again. I thought Cam Taylor Britt has one of his best games as a Bengal. Skinny, th- this defense just continues to do incredible things despite having to move guys around and find a fill-in for this spot and find a fill-in for that spot. And you're they're still down probably, if not their best player, certainly their best player in the secondary in Chidobi Awuzie. What do you make of this defensive performance when you hold the Bills to just 10 points like that. Yeah, I, I will say the, the Bills, if you go look at some of their offensive line grades from PFF, they're, they're just not very good. Josh Allen masks a lot of those things. Um, you know, I, I can't use the snow as an excuse because the Bengals played in it offensively too and did just fine. But I do wonder if that limited some things that they want to do in the downfield pass game, etc. But the bottom line is, and I saw some ex-players and some talking heads tweeting this out um a couple times during the game and since I've been back up from the press box and written my story and getting ready to do this, just scrolling through Twitter. And a lot of them are saying Louie Arrubo needs to get get uh, interviewed for head coaching jobs. I, I, can't, I think it was Ryan Clark from ESPN who said, hey, while everybody out here is, is interviewing Ken Dorsey, who is the Bills offensive coordinator, uh, might want to start taking a look at Louie Arrubo and giving him an interview too. And I think I wonder if that groundswell continues and Lou starts to get one or two. Brian Callahan obviously has with the Colts. Um you know, I do fear that that in this league, everybody's looking for the new offensive hot shot. Well, maybe, you know, flip the script and look for the new defensive hot shot who is seemingly stopping the Patrick Mahomeses and the Josh Allens of the world on a regular basis. Yeah, I guess the concern becomes, is that what he's best suited to do? Are defensive minds and defensive guys just best as defensive coordinators? I mean, is there a really a a thought either way in the NFL right now about how those coaches have fared? Over the last however many years, like, is it clear that offensive coaches have become better head coaches versus defensive? That's a great question, Rick. I'd have to do a deep dive into it, but it just seems like that's the trend of the hiring, though. Because I think that's what everyone wants to say when they're in the press conference, for sure, is yes. we got an offensive-minded coach. We're, and then, we're and then looking you, forward to the new era of the NFL and the passing right. game and all of that. And then you match them up with, with you know, for those bad teams that are obviously hiring coaches because um, things aren't going well. You, you hope to marry that hotshot new head coach with – you know, rookie quarterback who who you build around from day one, kind of like what the Bengals did with sure. Joe Burrow and Zach Taylor. Yeah, good point. I mean, that's that's always the goal, right, is to bring in the new regime, find your new quarterback, and you want that coach then to be a quarterback whisperer to help your new young quarterback. Yeah. And and so it may mean that a guy like Lou Anarumo gets overlooked, but we've been talking about it throughout the entire season. If he's not on your list, at least, to interview, you're not doing your homework. Yeah, that's the thing. I, like I said, I don't know if if in the end, um, I, I think he'd make a great head coach. It's my opinion. It's that's certainly no more than that. Um, I, I do think at the very least, Rick, that, that he he deserves a shot at interviews. I think we're at least at that stage of the program. Whether or not you know he interviews well, um, or if a team is looking for a defensive minded head coach and all those things, that's that's the decision they have to make. But I, I think he's at least put himself in the conversation to go get some interviews. Definitely, it w- it would seem that way. 
Um, obviously, you had the Cam Taylor Britt interception at the very end of the game, but overall, it felt like this was a game skiddy where it was mostly just positive plays from the rookie defensive back. Yeah, I mean, he made some real plays in the run game. I mean, the first two plays of the game, um, a little swing pass to McKenzie. He chops him down on the edge. Next pass was a little hitch to to uh, to Stephon Diggs, and he wraps him up and slams him down right away. I mean, he's such a, a willing tackler. And I'll be honest, where our seats are here in the press box in, in Buffalo, we're kind of uh, almost in the end zone, but a little offset. So we, I, it's, I don't know if I like that view all the time, but I like it on occasion. And that was a play that was coming right at us where we were. And I could see when Josh Allen threw it, I went, I looked over to my left and I could just see Cam Taylor Britt basically baited him into trying to make that throw, knowing he could get back there on recovery time and intercept it. And he did. And it was really a good play. Um, you know, and, you know, he's going to be a starting cornerback in this organization for, for several years to come. You'd like him now to start making an impact. And I thought he made an impact today. And, you know, you, you need him to make an impact probably next week. And if you go to the Super Bowl that, that week as well. But I thought today he was really impactful. Aside from the defensive play, Skinny, what else stood out to you about this performance? I mean, we, we talked about the offensive line play, not necessarily the offense as much. And when you look at the stats, it's Kind of a ho-hum game in terms of production. Burrow only threw for 242 yards. He was 23 for 36, two touchdowns, no interceptions. None of the receivers had more than 61 yards. That was Jamar Chase who led them. It was pretty evenly distributed in terms of who he targeted, but they were really just on point from the start. They got out to that fast lead and and then never really had to ramp it up from there. It was just kind of an even performance on offense. Yeah, and, and I mean, Joe Burrow's doing that with, with you know, the snow coming down. And the snow, you know, I, I went down to do a couple of TV things after the game, Rick, on the field, and it was a slushy, icky mess. Um, I could see how guys were sliding around. And um, for him to, to, to come out nine for nine and really set the tone um, as the snow was starting to fall, I, th- I thought that was huge. I thought that, that, that really put everybody on ease of, okay, Joe's on his game. We're up 14 nothing. We're good to go. And I think you're right. It was kind of a ho-hum game when you looked at, at it, um, the way it, it turned itself out. But I thought it was a really efficient game. Very few penalties. Um, again, gotten good down in distances. He spread the ball around. Eight different guys had a catch in the first half. It ended up being eight different guys had a catch in the game. But he spread it to eight different guys in the first half. Um, never really took deep shots other than really the Hail Mary. And I think another deep one down the sideline that wound up being a P.I., um, I think before that, the last field goal that McPherson had, um, I think it was T. Higgins was the intent. Oh, it's when, yeah, it's when the two, two, uh, two Bills players collided in the end zone. That was right. intended for T. Higgins. But it was really just in a very efficient day for, for everybody, and, and Joe Burrow included. It felt like they saw a lot of too high safety looks. I don't know what the breakdown was percentage-wise, but it felt like a lot of times, especially when they were looking to throw long, they were facing a lot of too high safety. So maybe the, the long, the go balls, the things downfield were taken away but he just carved them up on the stuff over the middle and, and the quicker hit stuff. I mean, it was it was pretty surgical in, in how they attacked them through the air. Well, and, and that look, as we know, was so much discussed early in the year when the Bengals started slowly and they couldn't run into that. Well, they kind of dare you to run into that. And today, well, okay, you dared us, and they they ran the ball just fine. So um, that's having another answer to the, to the puzzle, the too high look, is, is, is doing all the things you just talked about. The game after the Bengals was the uh, NFC, the other NFC divisional round game between the Cowboys and the 49ers. That was in San Francisco. The 49ers win 19 to 12. So that's how uh, one of the NFC games played out on the Saturday games. 
It was the Giants and the Eagles in the late game. The Eagles absolutely blew out the Giants 38 to 7. So you'll have the Eagles and the 49ers playing for the NFC Championship. And of course, in the AFC side, the, the Chiefs beat the Jaguars 27 to 20 in the early game. So the Bengals will be traveling to Kansas City once again to take on the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game. But that game came with some news yesterday, Skinny, because Patrick Mahomes was sacked at one point, hit by two different players, and one of the defensive players fell with all of his body weight right on his ankle in an awkward position. He stayed in the game. He played pretty well after that. But since then, they've announced that he has a high ankle sprain. He says he plans to play, but this is a huge deal. I mean, a high ankle sprain is a legitimate injury. It's not that there's no chance he can play, but he's going to be limited to some extent if he's trying to hobble out there with a high ankle sprain. Yeah, what's one of his one of his his great traits is extending plays and, and being able to throw the ball, you know, from one hash mark after scrambling all the way to the, the sideline, even outside the numbers all the way to the other sideline with great accuracy, making great unscripted plays. Yeah, or even in the red zone, the, the fear that he might right. take off. Right, exactly. And how many times he creates by that by taking off and then the last second, you know, sidearming one or underhanding one or just dump passing it over the, the top of an oncoming defender trying to tackle him. So I think it is a big deal. Um, we'll see what his pain tolerance is and how he gets through it. You know, obviously he did not want to come out of the game Saturday. They finally did make him go to the locker room and Chad Henney came in for a few plays, but he put on a Superman cape and came back out, which I'm going to guess, you know, they I'm sure shot it up, spatted it up. Um, the adrenaline of, of the day um, gets you through it. But as soon as that's done with and uh, the tape comes off, the ankle sprain is, is revealed. So it is a big deal. Um, it's just a matter of how much will it heal in this week and, and what's his pain tolerance. And if, it, if, you know, if he's out there and you can see that he's very limited in what he can do, I, I think that is a, a big factor in this game. I think the game opened, um, I just looked a bit ago, opened as Kansas City a one and a half point favorite and then it quickly uh, went to a pick em. Um I'm sure that'll be more fluid here even by the time people start listening to this podcast, but I think it's already been down to a Bengals pick em, uh, So, or a pick em, not Bengals pick em, but a, from a Chiefs favorite to, to pick em for the game. I mean, is it possible that we see the Bengals go into Arrowhead Stadium as the favorite in next week's yeah. game? Yeah, I think the, the more news you know about Mahomes as he gets through the practices of, of next week and, and how much is he limited, is he not even participating in, in the Wednesday or Thursday practice, I think that will probably help to fluctuate that line as well. Well, and if you're someone who likes to gamble, this might be a chance to get in early here before you hear more information and that line starts to swing more towards the Bengals a little bit. You, you might want to grab it now while it's still out of pick them even. Skinny, as, as far as that matchup goes, you know what everyone's going to be saying. The old narrative, it's impossible to beat a good team this many times in one calendar year. The Bengals keep finding a way to beat this Chiefs team. What do you make of all that? The fact that they're going to have to play this same team once again in a high leverage spot. Yeah, I mean, it's. It, I think. I think it is a true narrative because it is hard. I mean, it's not like the Bengals have owned the Chiefs. They're all all three games were good games. Um, you know, Bengals just turned out to to make a few more plays than Kansas City did. Uh, so, I, you know, at the same time, I think you've now shown yourself as a team that, hey, this team that everybody considers to be invincible, and they are in a great run. I mean, this is the fifth straight AFC championship they've gone to. That speaks to greatness and consistency. But, you know, the fact that you have then beaten them three times, it's the confidence of, yeah, we can, we'll play with these guys. We're, we're you know, they're, they're not better than us. They may beat us. Um, they may make the one or two more plays, but they're not clearly better than us. And I think that's, that's what you take away if, if you're the Bengals. And I think, you know, I go back to that first part of the Buffalo game um, before the DeMar Hamlin incident. 
you know, in retrospect, I think we talked about it on the podcast on Thursday. I, 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 even though he didn't say it, I do think Joe Burrow and the offensive staff and Brian Callahan and Zach Taylor, I think they did take confidence from that first first drive plus where they moved it down the field because it kind of felt like that was the exact same scenario um, today. Right. And great point. So, Maybe we should have taken more from that if it turns yeah, out. Right. Right. And so that's why that's why I think you take away from the three wins over Kansas City is listen, they're they're a great football team. This is their fifth AFC championship game for a reason. But they they haven't beat us. <laughs> and that, that that I think that, that goes a long way. Well, and, and maybe you just nailed it with the whole Bills thing. It, we looked at that and said, ah, oh, you can't take much from it. It's just a couple of drives. But maybe the point there is they didn't have a way of stopping us yet. They hadn't figured it out yet. And it's been the same way with the Chiefs. The Chiefs have not shown they've figured out a defensive scheme that can shut down this Bengals attack. Every game they've played, the Bengals have been able to find a way. So uh, maybe there is something to be taken from those three games from the standpoint of the Chiefs just don't know how to defend the Bengals. They, they don't have the personnel or they don't have the scheme, one or the other. Yeah, no. And Luan Rumo finds enough things and new wrinkles to, hey, listen, you're not shutting Patrick Mahomes down. I mean, he may get shut down because of the ankle. They're going to score their points. They're going to move the ball. But he doesn't let them get to the 40s where they get to with a lot of people. He, he uglies it up and keeps it in the 20s. And that offense is just good enough. To, to keep scoring just a little bit more than Kansas City each week. So uh, I do. And I think the other part, too, Rick, is this is not an accident. They've won three road playoff games in the last two years. They, yep. They've never won a road playoff game before. They've won three in the last two years, um, and and they're going for a fourth in Kansas City. That's not by accident. That's that's a good team that um, can travel on the road and, and win and not, not worry about it. There are always going to be a lot of idiots out there who think the coach stinks no matter what. But – it does feel like last year the Bengals were at a spot where a lot of people felt like uh, they're at a disadvantage from a coaching standpoint. Like the Bengals getting into the playoffs, getting into the AFC championship, Zach Taylor's above his head against the coaches he's going against, and you're, you're relying on the Bengals' talent. Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, those types of guys, they're just playing. They're just going out there, and they don't know what they don't know. They're making plays all over the place. This year – it feels like that narrative is finally starting to change and people are starting to recognize like, geez, Zach Taylor knows what he's doing on the offensive side, along with Brian Callahan and Lou Anarumo has been outstanding in terms of calling this defense. Yeah. And I think, you know, in retrospect, going back to those first two years, I do think he needed to do some things that, you know, he, he was cutting his teeth and, and um, you know, needed the experience of that. But he also, and we could tell by the roster turnover, they, they inherited a roster that, that just wasn't working. It was never going to work. It was aging. It was not athletic. It needed a new quarterback. It needed new skill position guys. It needed a complete overhaul on defense. And we saw that through free agency. So I think they also, you know, got a chance to get their players in there and go in their system. And I think there's something to be said for, for that. I mean, I, I will say there's a lot of places – Six twenty-five and one would have gotten you fired. There really are, even if even for owners and GMs who maybe know what the mitigating circumstances are of the roster not being good, of needing a new quarterback, of of all those things, and they didn't. I think they felt like all along when they get their guys, we're going to let their guys in place. We got our quarterback in Joe Burrow. Let's give him a couple more years and see what he's done. And all he's done is helped, and the staff has done, and these players have done. Have gone to a Super Bowl and an AFC Championship game with a chance to go to back-to-back Super Bowls. That's that's a pretty good run. Yeah, you went into last year thinking, do you really want to give Zach Taylor another opportunity to waste a year of Joe Burrow's development? 
And as it turns out, we, you know, that that narrative couldn't have been more wrong. Yeah, and Joe Burrow, obviously, with his comments uh, last Wednesday, um, or actually, I'm sorry, it's not his comments last Wednesday, uh, that was Zach's reaction to it, his comments on the before the Sunday night game of he wants to be in Cincinnati, he thinks Zach Taylor is the best coach in the NFL. I, I don't think that's lip service. He doesn't have to say those things if he doesn't believe them. I think he truly believes them. Was there anything else that came out of the, the press conferences and your guys' time in the locker room after this win over the Bills? No, I, a lot of it was just spent on on the offensive line and, and what those guys did because um, it was the big question mark surrounding this game of Jackson Carmen and just the offensive line in general. How would it hold up? Um, you know, Joe Mixon got one of the game balls and he flipped it to Cordell Volson and, and he put a big smile on his face, was standing around a bunch of different offensive linemen. And Joe, Joe, said, Joe was asked, what, what, what did you think of the performance of the offensive line? And, of course, in famous Joe Mixon fashion, them boys, dogs, D-A-W-G-S. And they went on to, to make a couple other co- comments about how well they played. You know, Joe, as I mentioned, talked about Jackson Carmen uh, and how well he played, uh, the fact of the, the, you know, what they ran for and all those things. And then talking to, to some of those guys, Jackson Carmen, um, talking about the opportunity. Ted Karras talking about him taking, taking advantage of the opportunity. Uh, Max Sharping talking about the culture here and um, – about, I think we've talked about this before, about this coaching staff really treating all the guys kind of the same that, hey, you may not be a starter, but we're coaching you to be one. And when the time comes, if if you're the guy, we trust you're the guy. We're not going to mess around with making a bunch of changes because we've got a backup in there at a, at a, at a starting spot. We're going to roll with what they, we've got. And he said that that builds a lot of confidence. And I think it showed today. Do you think that because of the success they've had over the last two seasons of them being in the national spotlight a lot. And and of course, everyone's obsessed with Joe Burrow. So there's everything he says gets analyzed a little bit more and put out there. But you've now had a few different sound bites from the players go kind of viral. There are there are one or two last year that did. They've got the, they've got to play us stuff. Yep. You've got Joe talking about uh, I'm never an underdog. Do you think some of these players are starting to realize that with the, the focus and attention around them, if they say something, there's a chance that it might get picked up on. Do you get the sense that some of them are going for the soundbite a little bit more than maybe they have in the past? Maybe, but but I also think some of it too is they are a group that I think is still, and I hate to play the respect card. I think they do feel like they're disrespected. I think they then try each week to latch onto something that's just going to give them that little chip. I mean, obviously this week it was the NFL putting the the, the tickets on sale for the uh, for the neutral site game. And yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. What do you make anything of that? Do you care about that at all? I didn't. I I, I put it up on our website and it it's did well. Stupid, but, right? But yeah, well, I mean, part of it is they they needed to do the you know you, these those two fan bases needed to know, hey, we got to make travel plans if we're going to go, which means we got to, can we get tickets? Okay, we got tickets. Now we got to book a flight. So let's go ahead and book a flight now. We got to start to find hotel. You just need to give people logistical time because, you know, normally, like today, I mean, there was a good Bengals contingent uh, that came up, but, you know, 75% of the crowd is Buffalo fans. So in the case of the Buffalo, Kansas City, you know, two different travel, two different fan bases had to make plans to travel. I, I think the NFL probably pushed it out in an awkward manner, to be honest with you. And that kind of is what buzzed everybody. But listen, I think for the players and, and even for Zach Taylor, because he answered a question about that with a smile on his face that, no, I didn't try to use that for motivation. And he kind of gave a little wry look. Um, and Joe Burrow saying that, you know, I guess got to give refunds. Now, I, I, I think for these guys, is it a big deal? No, but is it enough of a little thing that, that gives you a little bit of the chip on your shoulder? Absolutely it is. I think that's what these guys all look for. Yeah, I have no doubt that, you know, they're using that stuff inside the locker room and you hate everyone else and it's us against the world all the time when you're involved in sports. 
But from the fan base perspective, if you want to get mad about the fact that the, the Bills and the Chiefs would have had a neutral site game and the Bengals and Bills didn't have that option based on the way things played out, I get that. Like, that didn't make any sense at all to me. That was BS. That felt like the Bengals were getting screwed. This whole ticket thing, the Bengals aren't getting screwed, people, and the fix isn't in because of that. That's nothing. That's no. nothing. No, and, and it clearly wasn't in today um, because, you know, you had a couple of rulings on me. <laughs> the Jamar Chase touchdown got people That's, pretty worked up. Yeah, that, that did, you think, was, did you think it was a catch or no? I did initially. I did on the first replay, but I didn't know if he controlled it as, as he was coming to the ground. And and, and I, I it was a – the one thing I will say that, that I didn't agree with is you called it a touchdown, and I don't think there was enough – to overturn it. And I do think if you'd have called it incomplete, I don't know that there was enough to overturn it. So that, that's the only part for me. I think that would have been a call that that that's, that uh, that stands. To me, that's one of those bad rule type situations right. where it, that that is obviously a catch to me. But it, it, like if you're talking about, did that play look like a catch in, just in life? Yeah, that is, that is a catch. But when you get down to the fine print of the rule book of completing the catch through the ground and all this stuff they look at now, the ball did shift, uh, like you had said. I think if you called it an incomplete pass, you, you wouldn't overturn it. You called it a catch, so you probably shouldn't have overturned it. But, I, I mean, it didn't bother me that much. I certainly didn't think that meant that the NFL had fixed the game. No, and then you had a couple pass interference calls down by the goal line. The one, it was a very short pass interference on on uh, Trenton Irwin where he got grabbed, and the one on Higgins, those both went against Buffalo. They were both the right call, but, you know, if you thought the fix was in, the yellow hanky probably wouldn't have come out because they're always very subjective on, on those calls. So, yeah, I mean, I thought overall this crew was fine. I know I'm, I'm sure people were sitting on pins and needles wondering how the, the flag, especially with Carl Sheffers as the – as the head referee, how that was going to go. Um, but honestly, at the end of the day, I mean, again, we can get up in arms about the review. It ended up not mattering in the end. And, and again, it was, it was a tough call to make, but um, no, I thought this crew was just fine. Skinny. That's all I have. Do you have anything else to add here? That's all I got, man. I'm watching the snows keep falling and going to head back, uh, back to Cincinnati and get back for uh, another busy day tomorrow and another busy week before going to Kansas city for the championship game. All right. Well, we will be back midweek with our all sports podcast, talk some college basketball and more Bengals talk and whatever else comes up over the course of the week. And then, of course, we will be back next weekend after the Bengals game, win or lose, to break that one. Indeed, we will. For Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the Bengals postgame edition, presented by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Mortgage.